0: Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and ever and to the ages of all ages, Amen. In today's gospel reading, the Lord Jesus Christ is passing by this small town um, um, across the valley, uh, across the the valley of Jezreel. Um, So you have Mount Tabor on one side where Jesus was transfigured, and on the other side of the valley um, you have this small town called Nain. To this day, um, the town of Nain is nothing, really, to speak of. Um, There is nothing recorded in history, in Jewish history, in modern history, in any history that ever happened in the city of Nain, except this one incident. Jesus was passing by this town, that is of no consequence, this place that is of no importance to anyone. Uh, now, it's, um, now it's like an industrial region in Israel um, and uh, there's really nothing to speak of there. There's a church there, uh, but uh, otherwise it's just a small industrial town. Um, and Jesus is passing by this town and they're, they're bringing someone who had passed away In a coffin they're bringing him out of the town and jesus sees this and he sees and he he knows that this is the only son of a widow he was her only last thing on this earth of meaning moreover from a very practical perspective he was her only means of income Widows Were relegated to beg They would either live off, off Of their, 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 their children Or if they still had a father Or something that was alive Maybe somebody in their family Would take them in um, You know out of pity But otherwise they were relegated to beg This woman had literally lost everything So she's lost everything And Jesus can see that And he knows that His disciples find out after the fact but somehow Jesus knows her and he stops the funeral procession and he touches the dead man which touching someone who was dead would render you ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in Jewish worship without going through a, a cleansing ritual that often took up to a week and required you to move out of your house and it's a big deal it was a lot of trouble this cleansing ritual Jesus also touched lepers. Think about that. Part of the disease of leprosy is to lose the ability to feel. So the lepers that Jesus touched, he touched them and the first thing they felt was Jesus. The first thing they felt was Jesus. They knew they had been healed because they had felt a touch. Before that, they couldn't feel anything. Jesus touches this man. Essentially, in the death of her son, this widow of Nain, who kind of, in a certain sense, resembles all of us. In in, in uh, What's really beautiful about uh, when you read early church writings is you find that each of the five major centers of Christianity had their own very, way, very own particular ways of seeing God. And the Alexandrian sort of method of biblical interpretation, so on, was very allegorical. They saw these characters and these stories as real people and they were real stories and so on, but they also saw them as representing a greater whole. This widow of Nain is the person who has lost everything. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you lost everything. I don't know if you remember your first breakup. I remember mine. I felt like I lost everything. Or many other incidences in life may be a lot more serious than my first breakup, a feeling like you lost everything. This woman truly, truly lost everything. And the message for you and for me is found in the psalm today, which tells us, we're we're saying to God, we're saying to Him, So we, your people and the sheep of your pasture, will praise you and offer you glory forever and ever. Why? Because we are the sheep of your pasture. We are your people. We belong to you. I've spoken a hundred times about the message of the Good Shepherd, but that only one shepherd is the Good Shepherd, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, I have a friend who has actually bought a sheep farm, and he's a shepherd, and I've shared this with you before, but for those of you who haven't heard this, I'll share it with you quickly. You know, he tells me that he'll stay up all night caring for a sheep that's sick, that has like diarrhea or something. And he'll nurse him back to health. And he'll, sp- he'll, he'll spend like multiple nights not sleeping at all, you know, f- feeding him five milliliters every five minutes to just to keep him hydrated, to get him better and so on. And all of this to get him to six, seven months of age so he can send him off for slaughter, right? And I was horrified, like, how do you care so much? And he, and he tells me, Abuna, it's an investment, like, they're an investment. You care about your investment. You care about, you know, one sheep is like, worth. I don't know, I can't remember how much he told me, right? A few hundred dollars, so, you know, yeah, if he dies in the middle of the night, it's a loss. The good shepherd, he cares for us, and he wants nothing from us. So we appeal to him, and we tell him, we are the sheep of your pasture. And, and St. Paul, in the, in, in the first reading today, is really trying, he's really trying to highlight to St. Timothy. St. Timothy was like his disciple in the reading of the Acts. We read how sort of St. Paul acquired St. Timothy. He kind of found him on his travels very soon after John Mark left, St. Mark left um, St. Paul and, and, and Barnabas went, took him. St. Paul finds St. Timothy and he. And he he travels with St. Paul for some time and then St. Paul leaves him in Ephesus. The Ephesians were, they were really good people, but it was also a port city. So they were merchants, they were very wealthy. And um, it was one of those port cities that was on a peninsula. So it had like two ports, an Eastern port and a Western port. Very rich city, business city, right? And so he leaves St. Timothy there, a youth as bishop of the city. And so he's telling St. Timothy beware, everything he's telling him here is beware of money, he's telling him. The first thing he tells him is that contentment with godliness is of great gain. Being content with God is of great gain. And he tells, I'll tell you why. He tells him because we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out of it. And I've shared with you before, and it's one of the, our congregation who shared with me originally, um, Alexander the Great's three dying wishes. His three wishes for his, for his death and funeral were one, to be, buried, to be carried in a coffin by his physicians. Two, to be carried with his hands dangling out of his coffin. Three, that the path between the palace and his burial place would be strewn with all of the riches and treasures that he had collected throughout his various different conquests. And when they asked him why, he said, because I want the physicians to know that though they extended my health, they cannot conquer death. No one can conquer death, not even the physician. So I want them to carry my casket. He said, why do you want your hands hanging out of your casket? He said, because I want everyone to see that I came into this world and my hands were empty and I left this world and my hands were empty. And he says, and why do you want your, the path between the palace and your burial place to be strewn with all of the treasures that you collected in all your various conquests. And he says, because I want them to see that I can enjoy my treasures throughout the path of my life, but I can't take them with me. And St. Saint, Saint Paul is telling St. Timothy in different ways. You know, they, these folks, St. Paul, St. Timothy, they studied Greek philosophy, they knew all of this stuff, right? And he tells him, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. So let us be content with not that which we cannot grasp, but that which we can. It caught me with such great contrast um, when Jesus is described in the Gospel of St. Mark in the Transfiguration. When he's described in the Gospel of St. Mark and In the gospel about the transfiguration in Mark 9 verse 3, it says about Jesus, he went up on the mountain with his three disciples and he was transfigured and his appearance changed completely before his disciples. And the early church fathers tell us, is it Jesus' appearance who has changed or the eyes of the disciples that were opened to see the reality of who he is? Nonetheless, in verse 3, only in the Gospel of St. Mark, it says this, it, says, it describes him this way. It says his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth could, can whiten them. Such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. The first mention of laundry in Scripture, right, to my knowledge. Look how glorious the Lord Jesus Christ is. Contrast that to what Jesus says in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. These are the readings that we read pre-Lent. He says, Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where no rust nor moth destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. He's telling us, that the clothes that you're holding on to the clothes that you're grasping onto the clothes that you're holding on to for dear life moths eat them moths like you find a moth a moth can destroy that which you hold so dear look at the glory of Christ in the transfiguration Jesus wasn't transfigured to show off to his disciples. He was transfigured to his disciples so he could show us a foretaste of what our reality is. We're created in his image and likeness. When we're restored, we'll be just like him, just as he is. 1 John 3, 2. We'll see him as he is. We'll be, we'll be like him as he is. We can't possibly imagine what that would be like. St. Paul is telling St. Saint Timothy, St. Saint Timothy is in this rich, bustling, bustling business city and he's the new bishop and the people love him. St. Timothy was a lovely character. He was very charismatic, very loved by the people, right? But his only problem in life was that he was young. He was very young and the Ephesians were haughty. They were kind of full of themselves because they were rich. They had a lot of money. They were business people. And he's telling them, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by all these people coming to church in fancy clothes, driving fancy chariots, or I don't know what people did to show their wealth at the time. Don't be deceived. Be content with godliness. Be content with that you get to kneel before Almighty God. And then look how St. Paul describes, describes God. And all of these are words for you and for me. He describes. He tells him, but you, O man of God, flee these things... And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith before God who gives life to all things. When St. Paul wants to describe God, he describes him as the one who gives life to all things. Why would St. Paul describe him like that? I'll tell you why. You know, the other day I met this uncle... He was a really nice guy, you know, he was uh, about a little bit shorter than me, had a little bit of a belly, he was kind of, uh, you know, losing his hair, he wore glasses, has a moustache. Did I tell you anything? No, every uncle in the Coptic Church looks that way. Sorry for all the uncles in the audience, right? Right? What if I told you, he, uh, what if I told you the other day I was hanging out with uh, this lovely lady in our congregation who is a professor emeritus of engineering? Well, there's only one in our congregation, right? What if I told you the other day I was hanging out with the one who can give life? Who is that? There's only one. There's only one. It's God. It's God. And this woman who has lost everything, Jesus is able to give her back everything and then some. Everything and then some. You say and then some, Abuna, he gave her back her son, what's what's the and then some? I'll tell you. I'll tell you, but let me finish telling you first what St. Paul tells to St. Timothy. He tells him, but you but you, O man of God, you live your life in the light of who? The blessed and only potentate. One of the words which is commonly misread in the readings. The word is potentate comes from a similar word like potential. Remember physics, potential energy, right? The potential of a person. The only, he's, he's saying he's the only one who has potential. What's power? It's, it, it, what's potential? It's power which is intrinsic to the thing. This thing has potential energy because of where it is, because of its, its height and so on. And people who know physics can explain to, it better, to, to, to you all better than me, right? St. Paul describes, when he wants to describe God, he says he's the only potentate. He's the only one who has power. We have power because of him. We have life because of him. We have, you know, wealth and riches and comfort in this life and so on because of him, not because of ourselves. And then he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches. And we find in the Catholic epistle, St. James was telling us the same thing, but with much stronger words. He was telling the rich, you rich weep and howl because your riches are soon going to be moth-eaten. Remember the moths, they're back, right? This concept that Something so small as a moth is able to take away something so dear so precious to us You can hear it in my voice that I have a cold and every time I catch a cold. I remember something My my mom one of my mom's thoughts like her musings. She says isn't it odd That something so small as a virus can incapacitate someone who is so complex and intelligent as a human being and we still don't have a cure for the common cold. For those of you who are not biologists, the smallest thing we can see under a microscope is a bacteria. The smallest thing we can see under like an electron microscope, which is like a super high powered microscope, like the stuff, not the stuff you had in your science labs, the stuff they have in like, you know, hospitals and scientific institutions and such, it is, is like the insides of a bacteria. But a virus, we can't even see it. We can't even see it. And it's able to paralyze grown men and some women. <laughs> right? Those of you who have experienced man flu, you feel me. Right? A virus. Can't, it's so small, it can't even be seen. Has existed for ages, eons. And we still don't have a cure. We're so fragile. And God is so powerful. What did the widow of Nain... Let's finish with this. What did the widow of Nain have before her son passed away and a week after the funeral? A week before the funeral, she had her son... Maybe he was in good health. Maybe he died of some traumatic injury or something. He was healthy all along, let's say. Let's imagine, okay? She had her son. She had an income. She had a sort of sense of security and well-being, etc., etc. What did she have afterwards? She had her son. He was healthy. She had an income. She had a sense of well-being. What's the difference? What did she have after that she didn't have before? And that's the key To understanding this, and to understanding the raising of Lazarus, and to understanding why God heals anybody at any time, even so much as bring somebody back from the dead. Okay, to answer the question, let's ask another question. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What happens to Lazarus after that? He follows Jesus. He was a witness of the resurrection. He's one of the 500 who witnessed the ascension. He goes on preaching. He becomes the bishop of Cyprus. And then he gets martyred and dies. Right? So, what happened to Lazarus? He got sick. He died. He did a bunch of stuff. And he died. Right? So, when God raises, heals someone from their sickness so much even as to raise someone from the dead he doesn't change the ultimate outcome of them passing through death to enter paradise right so what's the benefit so from an eternal and perspective what's the benefit the benefit is to reveal who god is to reveal the person of god to reveal how much he loves us, to reveal his care, to reveal that he can see even to our deepest needs and to the hurts which are the deepest inside of us, and that he can do all things, and that he loves us. What did the widow of Nain have a week after the funeral that she didn't have a week before the funeral? She had the knowledge of a God who is here, who is present, who is incarnate, who walks the earth, who is humble, who is not afraid to touch the dead and all of what that means, who has the power to raise the dead, who is the one and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. God wants to give you that knowledge that the widow of Nain had, without losing a loved one. He wants to give you that knowledge without the pain and the suffering that that widow of Nain went through. He wants to give it to you today, and he wants you to walk out of here hand in hand, saying, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the only life giver. You are the only potentate. You are the only King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To you be all the glory, and to me be all the assurance that I'm well cared for by God Almighty, amen. Glory be to God forever and ever. Man, I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.